Okay, here's a question that we get all the time, Sherry, and I want to know if this is a question that you had. And I think I know the answer. Back when I, you know, back when I was drinking or when I was in early sobriety. But for people who have a loved one who is drinking or is trying to get sober, they the really the big conundrum in their brain, especially for people that are considering whether they should stay in the relationship or leave the relationship is, is this person that I'm like, for instance, that I'm married to, is this, is this husband of mine, is he an alcohol, is he an asshole because he drinks or is he just an asshole? Mm. And that is kind of the $10 million question. Yeah. Did you have that question? Oh, no, I didn't have that question in my head. I just thought you were an asshole. Oh, so you <laughs> you weren't wondering. You knew. I mean, like when I first met you, you had like some boldness and you kind of were just a little, I don't know, a little off sometimes of what like the general population of our friends were thinking. So I was like, oh, he's strong and independent and a leader. And then I was like, no, I think he's really wait, just kind of wait, wait. You an said, asshole. You said strong and independent. And a leader after you described me as being a little off? Well, I meant like, you weren't just going with the flow a lot of the times. You were like, forging your own path, doing your own thing. And and I was like, oh, it's strong and independent a leader. And a screw I, loose. I'm like, and I'm like, I'd like no, to I think he's really just a selfish asshole. <laughs> so at what point did you determine me to be an asshole? Because long, you, you, know, you went ahead and married me, so. Ways in. Okay. Yeah. So at like, first my... So like your... So, like, I remember when we were moving, and we had the U-Haul, and you had gone out to your parents' house and drove back to where we were living in the Midwest, and we were moving for your first job. I remember that. Like, you mentioned it just on this last family trip. You're surprised that you and my sister, like, didn't kill one another. Yeah. Um, But I was like, no, he's just strong-willed or motivated or, you know, and my sister's like, I think he's just an ass because you were very much like, we're doing it this way. This is how we're loading the truck, This the moving truck, this, you know. Yeah. And, like, my uncle, you kind of turned him off, but he's oh, he's just an asshole. He didn't drink. He was just a complete ass. So that didn't really bother me, but it was kind of funny that I did. I still went ahead and married you and because I was like, he's, you know... Strong and in charge, and is a leader, and and a little off. <laughs> Not off. I did never said off or like in as in a screw loose sort of way. Just meant like you kind of were outside of the norm sure. of the group of friends. And I, I bet had. you're, I bet you're glad with that decision to have married me. Not, not because we had to suffer through twenty five years of heavy drinking and ten years of alcoholism, and then the recovery aftermath. But because I'm just off enough to be willing to talk about this openly with yes, anyone with an internet connection. Yes, and dragged me along. And I dragged you along, and here you are. Convincing. And Let's share I, all of this with the world. Yeah, I definitely feel like you're, so if you're very convincing. So if you're dating someone who's a little off, but in a good way, as you said, uh, you might want to rethink that because that person might just do something crazy. Yeah. Like broadcast the relationship issues to the world. 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I loved your answer, though. I loved your answer. You didn't wonder whether I was an asshole or not. You knew I was an asshole. But I think everybody has asshole in them. I don't. I think there's always times that everybody can be an asshole. I mean, I have a friend who's... I can, well, There is a couple people I can think that would never be an asshole. Mm-hmm. But they are the rare exception. I know I'm a big asshole. But, but no, you're not. I can you're, be. No, you're not. You're one of the nicest people in the world. But you, 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 I can turn, and that's what I mean like by asshole. I'm not just a jerk to everybody all the time. If somebody turns on you, you're vicious. Yeah. I will give you that. Okay. But if... If a good-natured, you know, person is in need in any way, you would, you know, lay down in front of a speeding bullet or whatever. Jump in front Jeez. of a speeding bullet for them. Maybe you should. Bad analogies. Yeah, Sorry. maybe you should practice your analogies with me a little bit more. But the so the, this asshole concept, you're you're kind of broadening it, which is fine. But as it specifically relates to an alcoholic who is either actively drinking or in early sobriety, the, the question that we get quite often, and it's, it's with like panic in the eyes of the person asking, is, you know, how do I know whether my loved one, the alcohol is the problem or they're just an asshole? And yeah, But you have to factor in the selfishness part because selfishness, that comes along with alcoholism and an early recovery makes you an asshole because you're hiding or protecting or trying to keep hold of that. So I definitely think I remember a lot of times thinking you weren't just an asshole, but you were a selfish asshole. Yeah. And how did I get tangled up with this selfish, self-centered asshole? Yeah. Yeah, the selfishness, that is huge. That's really important when... When alcohol is the dominant priority in your life, I mean, that by definition is selfish. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in early recovery, you've got to throw everything you've got into not drinking, fighting cravings, fixing your brain chemistry, learning, changing every aspect of your life. And so that by definition is, is selfish. Now, I would argue that the selfishness of early recovery is, is required. There's no, mm-hmm. no getting around it. And in the long term, it's a, if there is a form of selfishness that's good, that's it, right? But it's still selfish, yeah. and it still makes you an asshole. Because, you know, I couldn't have cared less in early recovery, really, about what was going on with you. I just didn't have the bandwidth for it. There was no capacity left in the old cranium for your wants and needs. All I could think about was, how am I going to get through today without drinking? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the asshole remains well, well into sobriety. Now, I did at some point, and I can't, honestly, I can't remember specifically when. I want to say it's sometime after my first year of sobriety. But I had this kind of epiphany moment when I realized, you know, I am not suppressing the vile comments that I used to make to Sherry when I was drunk. I'm not the, the names that I would call you, the the insensitive things, the insults, the taking everything that was wrong in our life and in our relationship and piling that on your doorstep and making it, you know, you were to blame. The questioning your mental stability, you know, is am I married to a crazy woman? Those kinds of things that I would say and that I would feel when I was drinking and drunk. 
I realized, like I said, I had this epiphany a year or so into recovery where I was like, I am not trying to hold those feelings back. It's not like like that was what I really believed. And then when I would drink, it would, you know, loosen my lips enough that I would say those things. Those things didn't exist in me. I didn't, I didn't question whether or not you were crazy. I didn't think you were to blame for everything. I didn't think you were a bitch or any of the other vile, mean words that I would sling at you. So those didn't exist in my head and I was just working really hard to hold them back. They didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that was like huge for me. It made me, and you know, a lot of my anxiety and depression was gone too. So I wasn't, you know, on edge and, and snappy as much. And so I just kind of distinctly remember having this realization that, oh, I'm not this evil, horrid person that I thought I was. Well, and I also probably like really reinforced your belief system in a way because I would say that alcohol was just your true serum and that's really how you felt about me. Well, why wouldn't you say that? I mean, everyone everyone knows, right? That And, and it, it's true to a degree that alcohol um, creates this sense of comfort and makes us share our secrets. And it does. It's true. I'm not denying that. But that only goes so far. If you keep drinking past that point, it just makes you spew vile stuff that's unrelated to the truth. So you, you, I mean, that actually was a burden you carried for a very long time. You thought that the things that I said in my drunkest of drunk was the truth that I had to, to hide and suppress uh, on all other times. And that, that's just not what was happening. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the things that I would say when I was really drunk, they weren't the truth. They were just evil. They were just kind of the 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 most despicable things that could come to mind. And and of my many regrets that I have for my alcoholism, those are at the top of the list. The fact that I was able to say those things, not only just to any human being, but to you, the person I loved most in the world. But I could see where, you know, you would say, oh, he only says those things when he's drinking. That must be what he really feels. But it's not. And I think that's important for our listeners to understand this this concept of alcoholism being a truth serum, or pardon me, alcohol being a truth serum is true to an extent. But then it goes it goes past that and it goes to a really, really, really bad place. So there's a, there's a progression to becoming an alcoholic you know you once you cross the line into alcoholism you can never go back if you drank three beers on you know one period of your life and that it and that's what it took to get to a certain comfort level it's going to take four beers in the next period of your life and it's only it's a one-way progression but recovery is a progression too and Early on in in my recovery, I was still really emotionally immature. Do you remember that, Sherry? Mm-hmm. I I mean I was, and I, I'm still to some extent. I mean I'm, I'm still needier for accolades, for instance, than you are. Um, it's definitely gotten better, gotten way better. But early on, I was just really, really needy. Um, I needed compliments. I needed you to tell me you were proud of me. 
Um, and and well, I needed and, that more than you were comfortable doing it. Right. And I think that that also goes back to what that Love Languages book by Gary whatever. Well, if you're going to quote a but book, it, you should... I know, I can't remember. Full... You couldn't even come up with a good, you know, antidote of how I'm such a nice person or... Um, so the book is titled Love Languages, and by, it's by somebody named Gary. Yes. Great. So, but that was your, like, love language. And also, we realized, like, that's something that you didn't get as a kid, and that's what you needed. So that's why you really needed me to be overtly, verbally communicative and and forthcoming with praise and... I've just not been that kind of person. And these these weren't like accolades of grandeur that I yeah, needed. I mean, you just I was... needed like, hello, I love you, goodbye, I'll see you later, have a great day, oh, good job on doing this, or thank you for doing that. And I'm just like, not that kind of person. Well, I've thought about the fact that, you know, you cook a lot around here. You prepare most of the meals, certainly almost all of the dinners that we eat. Dinner, yeah. And... You know, I've thought about the fact that when, on the occasions that I cook, I mean, I do do a lot of breakfast, but if if you get up from the table and go to add something to, like, if you go get some avocado to add to your eggs, I'm insulted. I'm like, oh, my breakfast wasn't good enough. You know, I needed I needed accolades. I need you to, oh, this is the most wonderful egg I've ever had. And, <laughs> and it's perfect just like this. Well, I see your cooking has gotten a lot better since you're not drinking. Well, but I think but. I think about the fact that like almost every meal that you serve, I'm like, this is great, Sherry, and then I get up and get this the hot sauce. Yeah, to add that's to it. I don't, but I never have said that, have I? No, I've never said, oh, you go get some sort of sauce or yeah. something to put on, and I never say anything. I know that's why you're better than me. That's what I'm saying. It's just so that's what I'm like. Ugh. That's like, the emotional immaturity I'm talking about. That is part of early through. recovery. Yeah. I'm. I need those accolades and but I, but I've softened. I've you have to admit I've softened. Yes, I don't need to praise your egg and radish scramble or anything <laughs> that you maybe. And I can oh. handle it if you And pick. that's true people. He put radishes in an omelet. <laughs> so good. I love radishes, but too, not with eggs. In an omelet. Um Yeah, so the, you know the other the other part of this progression toward emotional maturity and toward growing out of being an asshole is the irrational fights that would take place early in sobriety. You know, we've talked a lot about how sobriety doesn't fix anything. It's it's a necessary prerequisite, but it doesn't actually fix anything. But early on, man, we didn't know that. We didn't know that. And so I thought, oh, I quit drinking, so everything's going to be great now. But we would still have these irrational fights and I remember one specifically. I remember a time early on when we, your mom was in town and we were, you and I were going to go away for the weekend and your mom was going to watch the kids. But at the beginning, we were all going somewhere together. Mm-hmm. And we were going to the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. Yeah. And, we but we were going to walk around Rocky Mountain National Park first and tour and drive, do a driving tour of the park and spend a day as a big family. And in the afternoon, evening, your mom was going to take the kids and go home. So, so we were in two different we cars. We needed two cars. Yes. And on the drive up there, because you know we needed a way to get home the next day, on the drive up there, I was driving the one car and you were following. 
and you would like drop back way behind and I would, you know, kind of lose sight of you um, or you'd be in a different lane on the highway than I was on. And I remember I like pulled over on the shoulder on, in the breakdown lane on the interstate and you pulled over behind me and I got out just to like berate you and tell you, just follow me. You're making this so hard. I know. Just, just I hate do that. what I want you to do. I hate that. I still hate the way you drive and following you. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that the irrationality of that fight. Like I could make a fight out of anything in early sobriety. Um, and there's a thousand other things we've, we've talked on this podcast about arguing over game of Thrones. I mean, we've, we had so many irrational fights and certainly when you're, when you're still drinking, when alcoholism is the problem, it's easy to go, Oh, those irrational fights are because of the, the booze. But when they still happen in sobriety, you're like, Oh, this is awful. Maybe this is because I'm just permanently an asshole. And so you, you, you worry and you wonder about those things. And I'm sure that's what you were thinking as we're on the side of I-7 or I-25 in, you know, the north side of Denver and your mother's in the car and I'm yelling at you about following me and driving. You must have been thinking, God, what an asshole this guy is. Well, yes. <laughs> I still think that. Like, just follow me. But I'm not going to tell you where we're going or the direction we're going. I just want you to follow me. And you... Drive fast, so it is hard. I don't like to drive that fast or weave in and out of cars. So I like to have the comfort. And that's probably just not so much me being in control. I just need to have plan two because I had my life with you with, like, plan two, right? Like, we're going to go to this cookout, and Matt says he's not going to drink that much, and he's going to drive home. Well, look at him. He's already on his fourth beer while I'm stopping drinking and... You know, and I've, you know. Yeah. Like, so I've always had, like... Backup plans. Backup plans. Or I know what's going on, like... Yeah. So maybe that's just part of me and my still self-protection from previous life. You're talking specifically about the driving. But the driving, yeah. I'm just talking about in general. But Anything could set, set off an argument when yeah. I was in early sobriety because I was... I might not have been drinking anymore, but I was still an asshole. Well, and maybe it was because you needed me just to follow and trust you. You know, but trust is like earned. That. That's actually part of what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I needed you to trust me. I was done drinking, so just trust me, Sherry. But that doesn't doesn't work that way. you got to no. get to the trust Yeah. before you can expect someone to weave in and out of traffic at 80 miles an hour behind you. Yeah, with your mother, with my mother in the car and the children in the car. I don't like to drive like that. Well. But maybe that's part of it is just the trust, like, because I needed to have that. I needed to know what the plan was and the end game and be ready to change course if need be. Well, right, because that's your defense mechanism when I'm drinking. You've got to have plan B and be able to execute it. You have to, you know, have this ability to, to jump into fight or flight mode. You've talked about that mm -hmm. quite a bit before, that your instinct, you were always, you know, he had like a hair trigger on whether or not you were going to um, take the bait and get into an argument or whether you were going to just bow out and move on and go somewhere else. That was something that was always at the forefront of your consciousness. And so here I am early sober 
And that defense mechanism doesn't just go away for you any more than my assholeness just goes away for me. So I'm still this overbearing jerk and you're still ready to either fight me on it or turn the other cheek and walk away. But there's nothing good about any of that. Mm -hmm. The asshole's still there. And, you know, it takes a long time. It takes this period of early sobriety that's however long you want to define it. I, I think it's over a year before the asshole started to go away. And you didn't feel the need to spring into fight or flight mode. And I didn't feel the need to snap at you over irrational small things because of my emotional immaturity. You know, one example of this progression that we've made that comes to mind happened just this past week. We were on a camping trip. And uh, at the end, you know, it was a week-long camping trip. So that's a lot of time in a tent with you and I and our four kids. And at the end of the trip, we were at a really cool place, Palo Duro State Park in Texas, which I recommend. It's a cool, it's the... The Grand Texas Grand Canyon, I think they call it. Second largest Second large. canyon in North America. Yeah. And so it's it really is a cool place, but it was it got over a hundred degrees on our last day, and we're trying to hike around in this. And it's basically a high plains desert canyon thing, so it's it's hot, it's not humid, thank God. The red Yeah, red soil, sand, red so. clay stuff we're hiking around in. And then in the wind, it's really windy. This canyon was cut by water, certainly, but wind, I think even predominantly, was the, the formation of the canyon. It's windy there all the time. And, you know, we're trying to have this big last night of camping meal. We've got pork chops we're grilling and potatoes. And Which you're making sandwiches you for the next that. day. And yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Yes. Want to say it again? I think I spoke over you. <laughs> you did a great job on camping dinner. Thank you. Thank you very much. But so we've got these big plans for this big last night dinner, and I, I, I like I'm not making this up. I'm trying to cut these potatoes that I'm going to put in aluminum foil and throw on the grill, and the wind is so strong it is blowing the potatoes off yeah. of the cutting board. Potatoes. Like, what? How do you blow a potato? Like, is this a hurricane that we're in? So we were both pretty irritable. You know, tent sleeping is not the best, although we did better on this trip than we'd ever done before. <coughs> so it's hot, it's windy, we're tired. The we're heat didn't bother you, it. but that's what had gotten me earlier yeah, in the day. The wind so. was what was annoying me. Yeah. But then we have this little skirmish about packing the cooler. Like you wanted to put something somewhere that I didn't want it there. And I'm like, why? I was packing the cooler. Why'd you put this here? And, you know, but the, the, the point is, that I want to prove to people that I'm still an asshole. No, I'm kidding. The point is that we had this little That's disagreement. We had this little disagreement. Normal's the word. You're right. We had this little disagreement, and then we talked about it, and then we moved on, and everything was fine. Yeah. In the past, when I was drinking, that little disagreement about packing the cooler would have been a week of turmoil. I would have drank way too much as a result of the conflict, uh, we would have stayed up all night arguing, said horrible things. It would have been miserable for the kids. It would have taken three or four days of wound licking and apologizing before we could even reach anything close to normal. And then three or four days of quiet with each other where we barely spoke. 
And then the cycle would have just repeated itself. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's where we're going with this. There is a healing process. And in long-term sobriety, things can get better and do get better. But it's not a, it's not a quick fix. It's, you know, it takes a long time, but it's so, 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 so worth it. When I think about the packing the cooler incident, as it will become permanently known in Salus family lore, uh, I think of it as a huge victory. Even though, like, the impetus, the discussion itself was kind of irrational and stupid and silly, it also didn't boil over. Yeah. Speaking of boiling over, I like to make coffee when we're camping in a, <laughs> in a percolator. And I have to say to anyone who's <laughs> listening to this, if you've never had percolated coffee, you are missing out. It is so good. Okay. So, but, but, but there is the issue that you do end up with a lot of grounds in your coffee. So you've got to be willing to chew that coffee. But it, it's like this smoked, you know, campfire thing, this percolated like coffee. Cowboy coffee. Cowboy Oh, so good. In fact, I might make some today, even though we're at home. Oh. Just because I haven't had any grounds, coffee grounds. You haven't had any grounds in your... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I... When we stopped at that Starbucks on the way out of town, when you were so nice and let me go to the Starbucks near the gas station. showered in three days. We weren't exactly Starbucks (laughs) kind of people at that point. You had to get a decaf pour, you know, pour over. So I was like, I told him, put a little coffee grounds in there. It'll make him feel at home. But Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But I think that that's a good point. Like, I had gotten overheated on our afternoon hike and was really suffering and the heat was really bothering me. Um, I am a pasty white girl. The heat was getting to me. The sun was so intense and we got home from the hike and you were sitting in the sun. I was like, what are you doing? You weirdo. But I was, so I had been irritated from the sun and was just dehydrated and I just couldn't quite get enough hydration back in. And I was like, you know, then I don't know if anybody's had that like heat exhaustion and then you're like kind of tired, but we had already taken off the rain fly cause it was so hot in the tent the night before. So it's not like I could go into the tent and have any shade. So I just wanted to lie down somewhere in a cool place and you were irritated by the wind and yeah, six days of camping kind of did us in and, but that was a normal, like that to me seems like such a normal you know, relationship skirmish that that's how it should be, right? Like, we both recognized that we were irritable about other things. and Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of what happened. That, that's the whole reason that I wanted to talk specifically about the cooler incident was because it was normal. And it's such a, it's like such a blessing to talk about you know, normal problems, even, even though there's still problems and even though there was still a disagreement and even though we were both immature and irrational and behaved childishly, it's great, man. It's great because we behave that way. Like, just like you just said, like a, like a normal couple, like yeah. a not, not like and an you, alcoholic couple. We didn't let couple. it get derailed. And I think that the older kids were also like, cause I mean, it was a campsite and we weren't being loud, but they also could sense some tension. So I think they were probably like, what's going to happen? Yeah. And then when they saw that it was okay, you know, like after I got like washed off and cooled off and it'd take five minutes, ten minutes maybe, 
Yeah. And they saw, like... And then we cooked Jiffy Pop popcorn. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Jiffy Pop popcorn? Yeah. I forgot about that stuff. Yeah, so I think that it was a good example to the kids, too. Yeah. Yeah, because they need to see normal disagreement and know that it exists and it's fine. And Mm -hmm. it's part of a healthy relationship. And speaking of healthy, so there is a healing process to this whole recovery thing. It's not like you just stop drinking and then a year later you're fine and nothing has taken place during that year. There is stuff that has to happen during the period of early sobriety. And it's, you know, it's a rebuilding of the neurotransmitters for the alcoholic that have been so badly depleted. And getting that that pleasure center in the brain operating properly again and and to stop withholding dopamine only for the consumption of alcohol meaning that other things in your life that should bring you pleasure don't that has to get rewired that has to get fixed the other piece of it is this the subconscious mind you know we get we develop these patterns and in my case I took 25 years to develop these patterns for when I'm going to drink how much I'm going to drink what things in life will trigger me to drink and I adopted all of this and it was part it was me it was who I was and then to change that and say oh I'm not going to drink as a result of stress and I'm not going to drink as a reward for a job well done I'm not going to drink just because it's you know before dinner time on a Tuesday rewiring my brain to to understand that alcohol is not a part of this anymore takes a long time and it's, it's part of that healing process. But there's also, you know, the time has to be taken to build the emotional maturity. We talked about my emotional immaturity in active alcoholism and my need for accolades. Reversing that, it takes a while. And it's all related to insecurity. Alcoholics are universally insecure people in one form or fashion and so for me to take that insecurity and become more secure and to move past the things that were haunting me because I no longer had alcohol to drown them I had to deal with them I had to face it I had to spend the time in the pain in the depression in the you know uncertainty about what the future holds and deal with all of that and grow and so that's a big part of the healing process. But as it relates to the relationship between you and I, the, the growth and healing that had to take place, and we, we've talked about this cycle from dealing with resentments all the way through to, to a renewed intimate connection. But a piece of that, of that cycle is rebuilding trust. And in order for you to recognize. It was one thing for me to have that epiphany and say, oh, I'm not an asshole anymore. This is so cool. But in order for you to recognize that I wasn't an asshole anymore, or at least not as big of an asshole anymore, you had to feel a significant level of trust for me. Yeah. Well, also I had to learn to change my preconceived opinion about you too. Like, so that took time and trust and you mean the the opinion that you had back when yeah. we first met yeah like if you off? were yeah not that you were off well you said it uh, 
drumming to your own beat, okay? Oh, moving <laughs> to the beat of my own drummer? <laughs> we should just stop. We're terrible with No this. more analogies no today. No more analogies. Um, no, I mean, like, I feel like you had been such a selfish asshole for so long that, like, that's just all I thought of you as. Right. You were good in some things, but overall and generally, I thought of you as a selfish asshole. Yeah. Self-centered, actually. Um, so I had to, had to be willing to open to change my opinion about you and like learn to adapt to what? your new thoughts and then your new ways and was there belief any, of what you said. Was there any like epiphany to that for you or did it just gradually, gradually. happen over time? I'm slow. I'm slow at learning and adapting. I don't. I'm a little change off and you're well. slow. I don't change well. a good couple. I don't change well. So well, it you took don't. me... You're I'll... change resistant. But I think that's good for, for listeners and to I'm hear because cautious. most people are resistant to change. Yeah. So, you know, that's a very typical... Yeah, I mean, it took 25 years for me to develop this opinion of you and, and what I thought that you were. It's not that I thought you were like an asshole all the time. I just thought that... You know, there but was I a had lot the of selfishness. To be an asshole, you had an ability to be an asshole, and you could be very yeah. selfish and self-centered. And you thought your opinions were fantastic, and you didn't understand why other people had different opinions about some things. So, but I think that's what very... the concern of our listeners that have expressed this concern to us is. I don't think any of them are saying that their their loved one is always an asshole, right. but that they have such a, an acute ability to so quickly become an asshole. That that's mm-hmm. what scares them, and will that yeah. will that always be the case, even after they've been sober for some? And that of time? yeah, and that took a long time. I mean, it definitely was more than a year, and I'm still adapting and changing. Like the camping thing, like that's an example. Like I just put something in the cooler without thinking that it was a big deal, and I didn't consult you because I didn't think it needed consultation. But then really it was just the irritation from other things and that had made it bad. And then I was like, yeah, I, you know, okay, yeah, he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He wasn't trying to be mean, but he also understands I wasn't trying to be a jerk and be mean. So, and that's what, four years now? So your ability to not be stung by, by, uh, something is, is a big part of this. Yeah. I mean, and that's definitely taken a long time. Yeah. That I don't hold on to, uh, hold on to it, and I let it like kind of just water under the bridge. Well, there, I got an analogy right. I think that. Good job. I think that is directly related to this whole concept of resentment because, you know, when when, and I think this is important to mention when we would have a skirmish or a disagreement while I was drinking and you know you're at that precipice where this can either be a no big deal or it can become a huge deal and you'd like obviously for it to become a no big deal let's just okay I'll say I'm sorry you say it's okay we'll move on that never happened for us we were never able to to make little deals stay little deals we always blew them into Huge, big deals. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that, I think, is because 
when I would apologize, when I would do something, when I was in active alcoholism, active addiction, you knew because I was not quitting drinking because alcohol was still part of my life that the potential for me to go there again existed. Not just the potential, but the the almost guarantee that I was going to go there again. Yeah. So we have a little disagreement about the cooler. I snap at you and then I apologize and you're like, whatever, I'm not accepting that apology because you're just going to do it again because you're an alcoholic asshole. Well, and I think that was, I think there is something more to that other than, oh, you're just going to do it again. It's because I just thought, I'm not accepting your apology because you're an alcoholic asshole whose opinion I don't trust when you can't even live your life right. Like, there's so much more to the reason I wouldn't accept your apologies, yeah. too. I'm, I'm realizing that just, just like now. like a, a lack of respect for me. Yeah, I had a lack of respect. I certainly wasn't going to trust your opinion. Look what the hell you've done with alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is stuff that I'm just starting to kind of realize. Like, yeah, there was a lot of apologies and sorries where I was like, you're just going to do it again. You know, that I wouldn't take. But I also wouldn't accept, you know, your opinion so I almost become like resistant and rebellion against any of your thoughts or ideas or the trust me just trust me follow me why why would I follow you like so I fall down a hole I mean yeah but what have you proved to me but I think I believe in my heart that that reaction that you had to things to me the lack of not only trust but respect that you had for me if you hadn't had that, if you hadn't gone there, I don't think we'd be together today. Because you didn't just blindly keep going along with my crap. Yeah. You rejected it and, you know, you stayed in the fight while rejecting my crap. And that's a big part of, I think, why our relationship survived this. Had you had you just gone along with my irrational alcoholic assholeness... Um, I don't know. I, I think you would have either left or or the or sobriety would have would have crushed the relationship one way yeah. or the other. Yeah. But your independence, your ability to be independent was kind of a requirement there. Well, I think you have to to have some sort of independence if you're going to be married to someone who's an addict. Like you have to have independence. Yeah. In a way. Because you can't rely on them. Absolutely. Especially if they're a little off like me. Oh my gosh. So, so we get to the point where the trust is there and the, the trust is not only, you know, kind of big long-term things like, oh, um, he'll never cheat on me and he's not going to drink anymore and, uh, you know, our finances are going to be okay. Those kind of big trust issues, but also the trust that, oh, you know, we were hot and in a windblown canyon and we had a little disagreement but we moved on we we discussed it and moved on and it's done and it's not going to rear its ugly head back up and we're going to be fine and that's the trust that takes time to develop and is so 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 rewarding i think i think it's important that we make the clarification that what we're looking for what we would define as success in relationship and what what we feel good about that we've brought our relationship around to is not perfect. It'll never be perfect. And it's not just imperfect because of alcohol. It's imperfect because of humanness. Yeah. 
and, and different personalities and yeah. different backgrounds and different yeah and so if in the process of recovery someone is thinking oh i want to get to this you know they've got this idyllic perfection kind of fairyland dream in their head and they think well i've been um i've been that's been taken away from me that's never been something i could access because of the alcohol once the alcohol goes away and the recovery process ensues and I've got a year or so of recovery under my belt, I hope to get to that fairyland. You're not going to. That that perfection doesn't exist. Little cooler arguments are still going to happen. And they're messy, but they're good messy. And so don't let the desire for perfection get in the way of appreciating the messy. There. <laughs> I made my own analogy. <laughs> It might not be coherent. <laughs> but then again, it's not the ramblings of an asshole either. Mm-hmm. Just the ramblings of a guy who's a little off. A little off. Okay. Maybe I should explain <laughs> that just a tiny bit more. No. Okay. I feel like I understand perfectly. No, it was good. It was a good example. Before we go, I just want to encourage our listeners again to consider if if this conversation is resonating with you and if you're one of those many people that we hear from that say that they are married to an asshole and they're worried that he's not just an alcoholic asshole but even when the alcohol is gone he'll still be an asshole or you know or you're the loved one of or otherwise a loved one doesn't have to be married you're right or husband yeah. Is my wife an asshole? Absolutely. Yeah. Those exist too. But if you're in that situation, we want to encourage you to join our Echoes of Recovery program, which is specifically for the loved ones of alcoholics. And it's a place where we provide connection and understanding and love and empathy and compassion and all the things that you can't get in the outside world because the outside world doesn't talk about alcoholism. It's just hushed whispers and ignoring the problem and so if this conversation resonates and and you need an outlet to discuss the assholeness of your asshole um we're the place and we encourage you to to check us out at echoes of recovery.com e-c-h-o-e-s of recovery.com and if it looks like a good fit we'd love to have you join and participate with us so yeah, so let's let's leave it at that, Sherry. Don't let the desire for perfection get in the way of appreciating the good messy. You you down with that? You good with that? <laughs> this is my thing. <laughs> I'm baffled. You're baffled. But yes, I think that I'm going to title that as those are normal things that happen in very healthy relationships. And to walk away from that cooler and then have a little meetup to say, you know, I think this. And then you're like, okay, whatever. And this is what I think. And then I was like, okay, now we're good. Yes. And it's done. Exactly. It's not perfect. It's It's the good messy. It's normal. Thanks for validating my analogy. Normal. Well done, Sherry. Normal and healthy relationships. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I am Matt Salis, and we both thank you for listening to another episode of the Untoxicated Podcast.